Thank you, Chris. Good morning, church. It is so good to be with you. And yes, it is hard not to be in the snow, sleet, rain, and bleariness of Corning, New York right now. But we are suffering through it. My wife and I, we are so blessed to be with you. And just love being able to worship Jesus with you and the songs. Thank you, worship team. Uh, just focusing our, our eyes upon the faithfulness, the goodness, and the power of God. Amen? Amen. He is, he is so good. It is so wonderful. Um, I also want to thank you, Metro Life, for your hospitality year after year to Grace Partnership. Because uh, I've been here every year. My wife's been here and others from our church have been here many different years. And um, we are always so encouraged, so fed this year. I came away with a, a deeper love for Jesus, and, and maybe more important than that, a deeper sense of Jesus' love for me, so built up in Christ, and making connections and friendships and, and things that breathe life into different churches, literally around the world, your hospitality and your generosity makes that happen. So, yeah, there could be conference fatigue, but thank you so much for that to all of you. And I do want to thank the pastors and Chris for allowing me the privilege of sharing God's word with you. Let's turn to Romans chapter 12. We, uh, we spent a month in this chapter. And I want to share just one of the messages that I shared from this. It's a little bit more uh, relationally oriented. So I'm going to jump over some verses but what I want to do this morning is start with verse 1, and then I want us to jump down to verse 10 and read through the end of the chapter. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And right now as we sit under your word, we pray that you will minister life and encouragement. You will build up our faith. Lord, you will focus our eyes upon Jesus Christ this morning. We pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will will pierce through with the brilliant light of Christ to our minds, our thinking, to our hearts, to every fiber of our being, and that we might leave here changed by your word. Do your work, we pray, and glorify the name of your beautiful son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. We have a chandelier light hanging over our kitchen table. And uh, over the years, one by one, the light sockets began to burn out. And until finally, at some point, we realized there's just one light that's working. So we had five lights, but now there's just one light working and four lights that are not working at all. And so after months of living with that, I finally decided it was time for me to do something about that. So I went to Home Depot and I bought four light sockets, came home, I bought some other electrical like things too. I, I'm not an electrician, but I uh, brought some other, bought some other electrical things, went home and I went to work. And I worked for about an hour, taking things apart, putting things together. And after an hour or so, I was able to get that lamp, that light from uh, one bulb working to no bulbs working. And so we bought a new chandelier light. (laughs) And with help from my engineer's son, Jared, we went to work wiring that thing up and hanging it from the, and everything was great. I threw the breaker, no light, no light. So uh, we'd spent a lot of time trying to figure out what was wrong. We, my son was able to test the light switch and it was working. The power was there. Um, he began to draw like diagrams of the wiring of the entire house because he's an engineer. I just began to like take a hammer and hit things because that's what I do. Um, but finally we began to suspect there on the other s- the wall was a dimmer, dimmer switch and uh, it was kind of an old thing and it, it, there was no way to test it. But we began to suspect that the power was, that's where the power was being blocked. So we took it out, we put in a new switch and the lights worked perfectly. I want to use that idea of a dimmer switch as kind of a metaphor for our heart. See, Jesus said, we are the light of the world. Now, Jesus is the light of the world, but he and his power and his light and his love is to shine through us. We're not the source of light. Jesus is the source of light, but we are to shine his light in our lives. And yet we know from experience that we can shine more brightly or less brightly depending on different factors. Prayer or lack of prayer, obedience or lack of obedience, time in God's word or lack thereof, worldliness. There are are so many factors that kind of work to dim our light or brighten our light But one thing we may not pay a lot of attention to is our hearts. 
And this is what I mean by that. Now, obviously, I'm no electrician, but I looked it up, and the way the dimmer switch works is it calls for more or less power to shine brighter or dimmer. So that's in simple layman's terms, but that's what a dimmer switch does. It calls for more or for less power. The Bible indicates that our hearts are more like dimmer switches than on-off switches. We have the ability to slide the setting up to wholehearted. We have the ability to slide it down to half-hearted. We can raise it to white-hot. We can lower it to cold. We can take the happy medium and set it to lukewarm. Our hearts can go hotter, colder, brighter, dimmer. God says in Jeremiah 29, 13, that we will find him when we seek him with all our heart. In Psalm 111, David says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Proverbs 3, 5 encourages us to trust in the Lord with all our heart. James 5 tells us the fervent prayers, the passionate prayers of a righteous person avails much. Paul writes in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So when we seek and thank and trust and pray and work with all our heart, in essence, we are calling upon God for more of his power to shine through our lives. And that's what I see Paul doing in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 is almost entirely a list of things that we are to do. But not just do. Paul is appealing to us, urging us to do them with all our heart, with zeal, with passion. To slide that dimmer slide up all the way high to brilliant and light it up. So before we look at this appeal, starting at verse 10, I want to underline a couple of very important truths and points here. First of all, it's so important that we understand that the power that I'm talking about for calling upon God for more power or less power is the power of sanctification, not the power of salvation. The moment we believe in Christ, 100% of the power of Christ saves us to the uttermost. Amen? I mean, the weakest believer in this room has every bit as much power to save them as the strongest believer. And Paul writes that in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's it, believe. We don't add anything of our works to get more saving power in our lives. In fact, if we try to add anything to the cross, we empty the cross of its power, Paul says. So, brothers and sisters, we are saved by the power of Christ 100% because we believe in him. It's not our doings, it's his doing. 
that saves us. The second important point is that we see that everything Paul appeals for us to do in Romans 12 flows from verse 1, which flows from chapter 11. Verse 1, he says, Therefore, by the mercies of God, I appeal to you. The NIV puts it this way, Therefore, in view of God's mercy. In chapter 11, Paul lays out the vast, untraceable mercies that God has shown both Gentiles and Jews through Christ. The unsearchable riches of his mercy to us. And then he says in, verse, in chapter 12, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, looking at that mercy, with our eyes upon his mercy for us, I appeal to you, do these things. I want to just quickly say one more thing. I'm, some of these were messages I was able to take a little more time with. But in, in verse 2, Paul tells us, one of the to-do things that Paul tells us to do is to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Now, transformed is a power word. We can renew, we can reform our lives, but... Only God can transform our lives. That is the power of God transforming our lives. Yeah, Paul says do it. Be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we know that one of the vital ways our minds are renewed is through the word of God. Amen? But I just want to urge you that we don't want to reduce this to just reading the Bible. Because reading the Bible does not transform us. There are a lot of people who know a lot of Bible whose lives are not transformed and their minds are not, are not uh, renewed. And so I think 2 Corinthians 3 gives us one of the, the best descriptions of the transforming work of Christ because what it tells us is that as the Spirit enables us to behold the glory of Christ, we are transformed from glory to glory. The Spirit empowers us to behold the glory of Christ. As we read the Bible, we behold the glory of Christ. That's the Spirit's work. Just transforming our vision of the glory of Christ in His Word. Or as we pray, we get a glimpse of the glory. I, I felt that this morning as we're singing, Revive us, O God. The glory of God, the glory of Christ, we get a glimpse of it as we, as we pray, as we trust, as we work. And that glory, spirit-empowered of Christ, then transforms us from glory to glory. And I'm glad it says from glory to glory because it kind of means from little to little, a little bit at a time. Amen? Isn't that good news for us? I've been a believer a lot of years and... It is little by little, but it is God's work. So with that in mind, I want us to look at verse 10, and then we're going to jump down to verse 18. But Paul appeals to us to light it up with zeal in our relationships. Not because we have that power, but because Christ has given us that power. So in starting at verse 10, what he's saying is, don't just love, love with deep affection. 
Verse 10 starts, love one another with brotherly affection. Now, we know Romans 5, 5 tells us that God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. There's that power. That power doesn't come from the dimmer switch. The power is there at the wall. It's ready to light up that. The dimmer switch is just kind of like calling for more of it or for less of it. There's the power to love. God pours, has poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. But listen, Paul could have just said, love one another. He could have just said, love one another. But he lights up that love even brighter by adding a word that's only found here in the entire New Testament. And that word can be translated devotion or family affection. The New King James tries to convey this meaning in their translation. They write, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. It's kind of compounding brotherly love, Philadelphia, but add to that family affection, kindly affection, warm affection. We all have a special affection for our families, don't we? I mean, when my phone rings and I see that it's my wife, or one of my kids, I'm picking up. If there's a need, they have a need, I'm there. I'm there. I care about people, but my heart feels a f- special family affection for my family. Family affection kind of raises our love to a, a brighter level. I want to encourage your hearts that God loves you with a deep, with a family affection. His love for you is not impersonal. It's not generic. It is very personal. You are his beloved son, his beloved daughter, He knows your name. He chose you before the foundation of the earth. He knew you before you were born. He knew every day you'd live before you were ever even born. God handcrafted you in the womb of your mother. He does a daily head, hair, head count of your, the hairs on your head. That's how personal God's love and affection is for you. Paul says, I pray that you have power to know the love, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for you. That that power would come through to know his love and how amazingly infinite it is. And I, I am sure in that infinite love, there's so much affection. God loves you with a deep family affection. Affection takes love and boosts it to a new level. This past Thanksgiving, we had the pleasure of hosting our extended family at our house for Thanksgiving. And so we had a house full of people. I think we had 24, 25 people there in the house. And I love them all. I truly love most. They were mostly my in-law family, and I love them all so much. But there were times I'd walk by one of my sons, 
and I would just feel this deep affection, and I would just bear hug them or punch them in the arm. I feel deep affection for my wife and my daughter, too, but I don't punch them in the arm. But I do my boys. And you know what? I love it when they punch me back. I just love that. I love that. I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way of showing affection. Like, that's what it was. It was like I, I grit my teeth because I just, I love these guys so much. And I just like, you know, does that make sense? I shared this with the church, and every now and then to this day, I still get punched every now and then, and I can only hope it's affection. So Paul never says, greet one another with a holy punch, but he does say to add family affection to your brotherly love. Affection adds a, I don't just love you, I like you, to our love for one another. It sees the good and it hopes the best. It, it gives us room to be different. It gives us grace to be messy. Anybody else here have a little bit of a messy life sometimes? You know, sin is messy. Our lives are messy. Our families are messy. You know, if the church isn't a place where we can be messy, then we just cover the mess and we, we're phony. So affection gives us room to be messy. It gives us room to be different. It gives us room to have quirks. Christians are quirky sometimes. I mean, I don't know most of you guys, but I, I met a lot of Christians, and I've been a Christian, and we're just quirky sometimes. We've got our quirks at times, and where affection is lacking, there's going to be little patience for one another's quirks. But where there's affection, we realize that's a part of what makes them them and us us. I want to encourage you, affection flourishes in the soil of time spent together. Have you ever noticed it takes a little bit of time to work past awkwardness to affection with people? It takes time to go from barely knowing someone to friendship. It, it just takes time. Some, sometimes, and that's why I think for some people, it's very uncomfortable to meet new people. I enjoy meeting new people. Some people have shared with me over the years that they, they, they avoid new people. They want to go right to the people they know. Maybe that's you. But I'll tell you what's universal for all of us is we all have a bit of discomfort when we're meeting somebody new. And part of that discomfort is, what if as I'm meeting him, them and they're meeting me and we're talking, we run out of things to say? Have you ever had that happen? And, I mean, I've had it where it's almost like we're staring at each other and it gets uncomfortable. But if you just walk away, that's kind of weird too. So what do you do? Now, I'll tell you what some of you do. In those moments, you get quiet. Very wise. I'll tell you what I do, because I've got a big mouth. I'm a talker. I try to fill that blank, awkward space with words. And I have said so many dumb things, I think there's, I've broken a record. Just trying to fill that space. But here's the thing. Where there's no affection, 
People might walk away thinking, boy, that was a dumb thing to say. what What a jerk. Where there's affection, you walk away saying, that's just Alan being Alan. That's just Bill being Bill, Sue being Sue. And affection endears us to one another. Affection flourishes in the soil of time together. So I want to encourage you to find, if, you, if you're newer here or maybe you've been here for a while and, and you haven't, you know, find a context to, to plant that time with brothers and sisters and stick with it. Be a community group or having people over to your home or serving in a ministry or going out for coffee and all the above. Stick with it. Push through the awkwardness to affection. It takes time, but it's worth it. Paul says, add a kindly affection or warm affection or family affection to your brother love. The second thing we see in verse 10 is he says, don't just honor, outdo one another in honor. You see how he's pushing that slide up? Verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. He's Honor is esteeming others. It's seeing the value and the intrinsic worth of a person. And I found myself wondering why Paul didn't just say honor one another. And again, I think he's creating a a type of godly competition. Outdo one another in showing honor. I think one reason is it's another example of Paul like a coach saying, put your heart in the game. Give it your heart. Give it your all. Light it up. But I think it's also because Paul wants to consciously counter our sinful tendency to honor ourselves above others. And so we try to outdo one. I want to honor others by seeing their worth rather than kind of focusing on myself. Last year, a piece of art by Eve Klein sold for over a million dollars. Now, what made this sale unique is that this piece of art is invisible. Somebody paid a million dollars to hang an invisible piece of art in their living room. That's a marketing strategy. That really is. We have an artist in our church, and I, I'm trying to encourage her to break into that market. <laughs> now, listen, I am not qualified to assess the value of invisible art. I have my suspicions, but I'm not qualified. But I do know that Jesus saw the value in invisible people. The Zacchaeuses, the Matthews, the Marys of the world, the widow whose world was rocked when her only son died. The leper that nobody wanted to be near. The blind man sitting on the side of the road crying out. The disciples said, be quiet. They wanted him to stay invisible. But Jesus turned aside. And he saw him. He said, what would you have me do for you? The 
people no one else noticed, the people that no one else saw, Jesus saw them. He valued them. Zacchaeus, I must come to your house for dinner. What an honor that is. What a way to honor this man who nobody else liked. The honor that Paul is talking about here isn't based on talent or achievement or social status. It's based on us being created in the image of God and for believers that we are all bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's our value. We've got the fingerprint of God upon us and we've got the blood of Christ on the doorposts of our hearts. So I want to just encourage you, this kind of honor isn't reserved simply for those who are highly visible but even more so for the ones that are harder to see. Outdo one another in showing honor. The third encouragement he gives in verse 11 that we're not just to serve the Lord, serve Him with a fervent spirit. Serve Him with passion. He writes this, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And again, Paul could have just said serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. But once again, he's pushing that dimmer switch up to its brightest level. Don't set set it down to slothful. Set it up. Push it up to fervent. And notice that Paul's not saying, boy, I hope God does this in you. He's saying you do it. Don't be slothful. Be fervent. Serve the Lord. But we need to be careful here. Because... Fervency in serving the Lord can be motivated by other things, the wrong things. We can be fervent, motivated by legalism, where we think, if I don't do enough, God isn't going to be pleased with me. God won't accept me. So we do do, do. Boy, what a servant of the Lord. But the heart could be on a treadmill constantly feeling like if I don't do enough, if I don't do enough, God isn't going to be pleased. So that's not how we're to be motivated. Pride can also motivate us to serve fervently. Look at me. I am a great servant of the Lord. And serving the Lord out of legalism or pride has no power. It's like a light bulb that has no power, no light coming through it. So we need to go back to verse 1. In view of God's mercy, we serve the Lord because we have received such mercy. We don't serve the Lord to get mercy. We serve the Lord because we've received mercy from Christ. And the more our hearts are filled with the incomprehensible mercy of Christ, not for anything we do, hear me, not for anything you do, but for what Christ did. That's why you have mercy in your life. But as we, our hearts are filled with that ocean of mercy, We then want to bend that mercy outward to others and serve them. We serve the Lord by serving others. 
the more our hearts bask in the love of Christ and believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, the more we overflow with His love and His power. The more amazing God's grace is to us, the freer we will be from the bondage and the treadmill of legalism. You know what? God loves me and receives me and accepts me right now for who I am because of Christ. So now I can serve Him with gladness. We can also, by the way, go in the wrong direction, any other direction, when it comes to serving the Lord. If we get our eyes on ourselves, it's easy to put the dimmer switch in the, the low position, to get disheartened and discouraged when we feel ineffective, we feel unfruitful, we feel inadequate in our service. We feel like a failure in our service. We can put the dimmer switch low in that way as well, especially when things are just not going well or we're hitting some bumpy roads. This, a good deal of this message God has birthed into my heart through his gracious dealings in my life over the past year. 2022 was one of the most discouraging and disheartening years in my 30 years of pastoral ministry. COVID really kind of caught up with our church in 2022. I mean, it was doing its effect. But by 2022, by the summer of last year, we were struggling so hard. And at the same time as there were just people that weren't coming, people that were dropping off, there were relational tensions and breakdowns. Some of it because of all the tensions politically and otherwise going on. We tried to keep that out of the church, but it got in there. Some people left because of this. Some people left because of that. Uh, some people left because they were dissatisfied with my leadership and let me know that. Others left because as people leave, it's like, okay, now our family's not being served, so we're going to. And um, these things happen, but the effect on my heart and added to that, by the way, were family concerns and things going on. And I saw young people that had grown up with a strong confession of faith in Christ. I saw, I saw them walking away from the Lord. Some of whom, they were people that sat under my teaching for years. And I saw them walking away from their confession of faith in Christ. And other concerns, and it just began to weigh on my heart. And you know what? I began to feel personally discouraged like a failure and I just questioned and doubted not God but whether I was supposed to be where I was and whether it was God's way of saying move on step out so here's the thing. I still believed in God's word. I still believed in the gospel. I still believed in prayer. I still believed in Jesus. I still believed. The lights were still on. But they were dim. My eyes were on me. They were focused on my failures and shortcomings. My prayers 
would be, oh, God, I'm not this. God, I'm not that. God, maybe you're calling me to step aside. God, I am, you know, it's just, and here's what I, but here's what I want to share is through various means, God in his gracious love and faithfulness began to change something, not my circumstances, my focus. And as he changed my focus, he began to change my heart. I got a fresh view of God's mercy. And God began to engage my heart with a sense of God is good. I'm going to put aside all this, woe is me. By the way, there is a place for wholehearted lamentation, by the way, too. But we need to be careful that lamentation doesn't turn into self-focus or self-pity. Amen? So, Oh, I began to just, and again, God used different means, but I began to think, no, God is powerful. God is good. God has been faithful. We sang it all my life. You have been faithful. He has been faithful to me all my life. And so rather than, oh, God, I'm this, and oh, God, I'm that, as if that's humility, I began to say, God, you are great. I'm looking for the testimony you have in this. And I'm going to journal this journey. And I'm going to believe you, and I don't, I'm not saying it's going to look like this or it's going to look like that. I'm just saying you are going to be faithful. And I can say that for you. If you're in a place where you're discouraged, disheartened, maybe feeling like I'm a failure, I'm not enough, I'm inadequate, I'm a, you know what? We all are, actually. Let's get over that. Let's get past that and get to, but God is good. He is faithful. His power is what saves His power is what's going to call the prodigals back to the Father. Amen? If you know young people walking away, His power is not done with them. Revival is coming. We sang that too. That's the power of God. So, in other words, as we begin to look up, our hearts begin to say, God, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to pray with my heart. I'm going to pray for these things. I'm going to engage my heart. And... In my own heart, we're not done, but God has done so much to encourage my soul, and he wants to do that with you. But as our hearts engage with faith and fresh view of his mercy, it lights up our Bible reading. It lights up our prayers. It lights up our serving. Serving the Lord with fervency needs to flow from constantly beholding Jesus in view of God's mercy. My last point is this, and it's jumping down to verse 18. Don't just settle for broken relationships. Do everything you can to make peace, but know it's not all up to you. Verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now think about that language, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Where Paul lines, draws the line when we have relational breakdowns, lack of peace in relationships, he doesn't draw the line at if convenient. He doesn't draw the line at if it's easy. He says, if it is at all possible, as far as it depends on you, as far as you can do it, live peaceably with all. Where there's a conflict, do everything you can to make peace with that conflict. Maybe you're responsible for 25% of the problem. Take 100% of the, 
responsibility for that 25%. By the way, usually that's not how it breaks down. I think I'm responsible for 25%. I'm actually responsible for 75%. But, that, but whatever the percentage is, take 100% responsibility for that. Ask for forgiveness for what you did wrong. Own it. And don't make excuses, Paul says, if possible. If there's a broken relationship in our life, we want to take a hard look at it. Did I contribute to that breakdown in some way? Did I hurt that person? Did I speak words that wounded them or burned them in some way? Did I misrepresent them or do they feel misrepresented by me? And you don't want to move on until you've met with them and done everything you can to ask them to forgive you for your part and to make peace in that relationship and reconcile. You don't take on more than you're responsible for, but do what you can to bring peace to the relationship. This won't always work. I tell you what, Paul's words, so far as it depends on you, has set my heart free more than once. Relational peace and harmony doesn't all depend on me. It doesn't all depend on you. You can't do both sides of the relationship. You can only do your side. But Paul's saying, do your side with all your heart. Give it everything you've got. And if you've done what you can, and the other side, the other person, the other party doesn't want, has no desire for peace, move on. What I mean by that is pray for them. Keep praying for them. But let God set you free so that you're not living in that place. Move on. Pray for them. Love them. Be ready to reconcile at a moment's notice. But don't let it dim your light. Don't let it dim your enthusiasm or your zeal or your passion for the Lord and for his people. Slide that glide up to full blast. God has given us all the power we could ever need. The power of the Holy Spirit given to us by Jesus Christ is there waiting residing within us, eager to empower us to love affectionately, to honor brilliantly, to serve fervently, and to do all we possibly can to work towards relational peace. If we're living dim, the problem isn't on God's side, it's on our side. And Paul says, get a fresh view of God's mercy through Christ and then light it up by turning our hearts up to wholehearted. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us so much. Everything we are, everything we do, everything we, our lives consist of, flows from who you are. And Father, that you are such a merciful God that you would send your Son out of love for us to die on the cross, to give his life, to let the blood pour out, that we might be cleansed and washed and forgiven, that there might be no wrath left for us, but only grace, only love, only affection, only your gracious workings in our lives. Thank you for that, Lord. Father, I pray that you will seal this in our hearts and just continue to do your good work in our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.